networking as a business is is absolutely terrible business. Like you, you, you cannot start it with the aim of making some money or, or scale it. You start it because it's an amazing way to, to meet lot many people and to create a network of, of friends and, 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 and coworkers and, and co-founders and partners and whoever you can imagine to, it, it really helped me like with, with Office when we were running this co-working co-living, it, it, I was able to meet, I don't know, like between like around like up to 2000 people. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Kraszowski, and welcome to another episode of That Remote Life Podcast, where we hear from remote work experts, digital nomads, and location-dependent entrepreneurs, so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm very excited to be joined by Peter Faber, the founder and CEO of Surf Office, which facilitates remote working retreats for some of the top remote companies in the world. During this episode, Peter shared how a surf trip to Gran Canaria inspired him to start a co-living and co-working business, why co-working is a terrible way to make money, and we discussed some ideas on what the future of hospitality and workspaces could look like. But before we jump into the interview, make sure you subscribe to my newsletter, Remote Insider, where every Monday morning I share the most important developments in the areas of remote work, online business tech, and the digital nomad lifestyle. It has been called mandatory reading by other subscribers, and if you enjoy this podcast, I guarantee you will also love being a Remote Insider subscriber. You can subscribe to that at thatremotelife.com forward slash remote insider. That's remote insider, all one word. Finally, if you haven't left a review of the show already, please consider leaving one wherever you listen to podcasts. I would greatly appreciate that. You can do that by going to ratethispodcast.com forward slash TRL. Again, that's ratethispodcast.com forward slash TRL. If you follow that link, leaving a review literally takes less than a minute and it would really, really help me out. So thank you ahead of time if you decide to do that. But all right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive into this awesome conversation with Peter Faber. Peter, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing? Hey, uh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm great. How are you? I, I'm doing well. I'm very excited uh, to have you on here. Uh, we've connected. We connected over Twitter a little while ago, and have like you know talked back and forth. Uh, and I love all like you have such an interesting, uh, like business of the future of work and co working and this kind of stuff. Like you have such cool ideas that I'm very excited to discuss with you. Uh, and I also heard you on my friend Chase's podcast about abroad. So I'm very excited to talk with you. But first, before we kind of go into the question stuff of like that, I always like to ask people that join in here, where are you joining from? I was just saying that your background, your your apartment looks so much cooler than like my background at the moment. So where are you, where are you joining us from? Thanks uh, about the compliment. Uh, the, the, I'm, I'm joining from my own uh, apartment in, uh, in Amsterdam, in Netherlands. And so, yeah, that's not like the most nomadic place or I, I watch some of your, uh, videos, interviews you have on, on Instagram and people are typically joining from more exotic places. Uh, and it's, I'm in Amsterdam, it's, it's November rainy here, foggy, but I, I love it here. You know, Amsterdam is one of those cities that I've been, I think I've been to Amsterdam two or three times. Not for a long amount of time, either of those times, but I just love Amsterdam. I feel like it's such a cool city. The only bad part about it is the weather. Like if the weather <laughs> was not what it is in Amsterdam, I would love to live in Amsterdam. To be honest, the now with, with the global warming, the, the summer actually is, is super nice in Amsterdam because everywhere <laughs> in Europe, you have like 35, 40 degrees temperatures and it's impossible to even stay outside during the day and in Amsterdam is like nice chilly cool weather I think the worst is the the winter here like November December yeah. January you, you really want to escape somewhere for at least a few weeks 
So you're saying uh, everyone in Southern Europe, like the Spanish are like, hey, this global warming thing we're really concerned about. And all the Dutch are like, eh, yeah, it's really not that big of a deal. They're like, we're kind of cool with it. <laughs> well, it's impacting Dutch because of the the, the sea levels, right? Like the, I, right, I think right. the house where I live, I, that, was, that was the question because you are signing the mortgage for, for 30 years and you know that your the building of your apartment is four meters uh, below the sea you know because <laughs> that's the that's the reality of amsterdam and like oh is it going to be here this house in 30 years but i i i hope so <laughs> yeah oh man that's 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 funny so you are the founder of a company called surf office uh and i'm very excited to learn more about it so I heard, correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard that it originated, you started the company kind of like while you were living in a van, right? And you were kind of like looking for a surf. Can you tell that story of how, first of all, can you tell like, how, what is your elevator pitch when people ask you what does surf office do? And then mm -hmm. am I correct on that? Did that start while you were living out of a van? And what is that story? Well, the elevator pitch is very short. It, it we organize uh, off-sites retreats for for companies, and if people ask me fun follow-up questions, then I then I tell them more. Yeah, uh, because I used to live in I used to live in places like San Francisco for a while, and, and you you have a pitch and you are talking for like thirty seconds, sixty seconds to explain what you are doing. And if you live in place like Amsterdam, you just say this like one sentence, and people are like, oh, cool. <laughs> not everyone, not everyone is interested. So I just always wait for the if if I if I can say more. Uh, hopefully, so I can say more. Like in this to, yeah, to ask you uh, on that, I had someone because I was born in Bulgaria, so I grew up in in Europe until I was like ten or eleven, and then I moved to the United States. So I've kind of like grown up in both places. And someone recently said to me that. This whole like, what do you do question and topic when you meet someone is like very American that like Europeans don't really ask each other that it's not as big of like a topic of conversation. Do you feel like that that's true? Yeah, absolutely. It's because of, uh, I, I, at least that's my explanation. Maybe there are some other explanations, but the, uh, mine is that in us as, as i spend some time in us i i see that the work is like the center of of the universe it's like the it's number one thing is that what defines you like when you are on twitter people write like oh i'm the uh serial entrepreneur I exited my company i don't know what and then maybe they mention i'm the husband and i'm the father and uh, <laughs> and uh, in, in <laughs> In Europe, that's not, it's not the number one question. Like I experienced, maybe it depends also on the, on the location, right? Like if uh, I, I spent some time in, in Bay area and it was obviously more focused on work. So when people, you meet someone for the first time and they ask you like, what's your name? And the, the follow-up question is, what do you do? And yeah, that, that question in Europe sometimes does, yeah, it can come after, after like, five other questions like people ask you where are you from what are you doing here if you have a family or like what's like if you are doing some sports and you talk about that and 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 the work is like it, it's awkward to ask about work in the first or second question i think it has to do with like culture because certain industries have a culture of that and others don't so when you talk about like san francisco san francisco has like basically if you can take the startup you know internet culture and like download it into a geographic location it's kind of san francisco and so that's like a very common thing where people are like hey like what are you doing because even like as i travel and hang out with other digital nomads or remote workers i still feel like that's like a pretty common question because people are just curious about that um, I could so hear dogs. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's like the, you know, the realities of, of working from home, right? Is the mailman comes and the dog starts freaking out. So we, we just roll this... with it here on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, no more peanut butter. You told me before we started to record that, uh, you have this, uh, you have this trick with the peanut butter. So yeah. I, so I was telling you, it, it works only for a couple you... of minutes. <laughs> 
We was uh, I was telling Peter before we hit record about these uh, peanut butter pads that my wife and I discovered, which essentially like allow you like you it's like this like texturized rubber mat that you scrape peanut butter on and then a dog just kind of like licks it and, and goes to town. But yeah, I mean, it just depends on like how big your dog is and how quickly they can lick through that peanut butter because one of our dogs is quite large and uh, her tongue has a lot of surface area and just cleans up this peanut butter. Um, so yeah, but sounds dog, like they again found the peanut peanut butter because I cannot I cannot hear them anymore. Yeah. We'll see. We'll we'll see how it goes. Yeah, one life. Uh, the you 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 asked me before about the, uh-huh. the in the previous question we didn't we didn't we didn't talk about it. So I didn't <laughs> I didn't start the business from the from the camper one. I think it was the when you mentioned Chase. Uh, Warrington, we we recorded a podcast, and I think that that's how the story started. That I moved to to Canary Islands, so what is like the islands in the Atlantic Ocean? They are part mm-hmm. of Spain, and and I, I I moved there with the camper van. With the uh, we used with friend of mine, just travel across Europe and and surf, and we decided to move the camper van to Canary Islands, and it was. Uh, it was connected with the idea that yeah let's stay there and start this uh, business that was about uh, about co-working and co-living so it was targeting digital nomads people who wanted to escape european winter and go to canaries because canaries are famous for a very good weather uh, basically all, all year round and uh, and that business was very simple. Like you, you came, you got the, you get some accommodation and and the and the workspace. And now there are a lot of companies and and uh, and startups doing that. Uh, call it co-working, co-living, and community. Uh, I I believe this was the first one at the time because I don't remember anything anything similar. It was in 2013, and I still call it serve office. But then, uh, then it somehow evolved. We got a lot of, uh, lot of companies, a lot of teams coming to our, our venues. We, we, we had then more, like we started in Canaries, but we had one in uh, Santa Cruz in California, another one in, uh, in Lisbon, Portugal. So there were three locations. And, and yeah, I realized that I enjoy more hosting this, uh, this company of sites and team of sites uh, and, and, and basically the product started to shift more towards this type of client. And, and, and okay. since then we like, since 2017, we are doing only this. So you, you guys don't have any more physical locations, correct? It's just the, the offsites. That's correct. That was the, that was a cool part. Like when it was calling that we, it's, it's great for hosting individual clients, uh, individual guests, because, uh, uh, the locations were not not huge. There were like 12, 12 bedrooms in each location, you know. Mm. And uh, and when we had these teams and co- companies, they typically wanted to 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 have it private for them. So you had a team of uh, seven people from some tech company, and they said like, "Oh, we want to have it only for us. We we don't want to share it with someone else." What? completely makes sense but then you have uh, i don't know four or five rooms that are that are not booked and then we had teams that were coming like oh we are 20 people and we want to stay at your place and i say like perfect then you can share some rooms two people together we can divide the beds no we don't want to do that we want to have private room for each of our employees and so the reason why we switched from the model of running our own spaces is that it was simply not flexible we couldn't we, we mm. couldn't serve, we couldn't cater all types of the, 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 the companies wanted to have a retreat with us. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like the math of co-working is actually kind of tough, like as like a business model, because the co-working spaces that I see that are successful are either the ones that serve like the really, the really high end, like let's call it quote unquote enterprise level clients where it's, Hey, you're coming here with your team. Like you're renting out like dedicated desks. And it's just, instead of you having an office, like a large office in like a downtown, you have a few co-working spaces that you use to, you know, let like five, six, 10 employees of your team work there. Or I feel like the other 
part of co-working that makes sense are these like um like i don't know if you've seen these businesses that ex like use restaurants when they're in off hours to kind of like like sell that space but i feel like the co-working space to try to hit the mid-market that's for like digital nomads i've always felt like that was kind of tough it sounds like you had a similar experience yeah absolutely the co the co-working as a business is is absolutely terrible business like you 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 cannot start it with the aim of making some money or, or scale it you start it because it's an amazing way to to meet lot many people and to create a network of of friends and 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 coworkers and and co-founders and partners and whoever you can imagine to it it really helped me like with with Surface when we were running this co-working co-living it it I was able to meet I don't know like between like around like up to 2000 people and with with 2000 digital nomads or not all of them were obviously digital nomads you can create very strong networks so now anywhere i travel i i know some people in that city you know and it's it's awesome i it, it helped me to create a lot of lot of friends in very short time it's it's i call it it's it's a hack basically uh but you make money with the with the accommodation so we the the co-working is just the a feature of the product the main product is the accommodation and and people don't come because of accommodation and co-working they actually came because of the community and and it, i i met some I, i'm coming from from tech i i, I used to be designer so i like i always like to do a b testing and i always tested like okay how much people are willing to pay for for each of these services, because I sold that I sold it as a package. So you had the room, you had the the co-working uh, co-working space or chair in desk, and then you had the, the the access to community. And some people were coming to me like, "Hey, Peter, I don't want I don't want accommodation, and I want just to have a co-working, or I don't want even co-working. I just want access to community. Uh, what does it mean that you that person wanted to join the 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 hikings during the weekend or some meetups we organize during the week weekdays and I, I try to price it I, I basically like okay so the co-working is this price and co community is is this price and nobody wanted to pay it's uh it's some psychological block that for accommodation you pay you have uh you it's a it's a commodity, right? Like you 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 are used to pay for it. You you travel somewhere, you need to stay in the hotel or Airbnb. Uh, maybe you have higher standards, lower standards, but you always pay for the accommodation. But with the with the co-working, no, you can still work from the from the cafe, or you can work from home, or you or yeah, you can have some friends who have office and you can visit them and work from their office for free if you are not doing it every day. And the community is kind of the same. Like, why would you pay for for a community? So it's very, uh, it's very interesting business that you need to sell it as a package, and people don't value uh, the separate parts of the package. Uh, you have to you have to always bundle it. It's interesting. That's that is interesting because you would think that the community would sell well because online communities now like are exploding and there's so many of these communities online where people are very used to like paying x amount of dollars per month to be part of a community to gain access to to other people who are into the things that they are so you'd think that if you charge for community people would get it but i also know you were doing this quite early on like when did you when did you like when did you get the physical location of a uh, surf office the first one. Yeah, the first one was in 2013. It was definitely I was definitely too early because I didn't had idea that this can really go so big. I mean, the market of digital nomads and remote work, even even before COVID, now it's like obvious. But before COVID, it was not very clear and I didn't know like, oh, should I was basically bootstrapping it and I had I think in Canary Islands the first location we started with like four bedrooms and, and, and edit more and more. And there were like 10 bedrooms after one year. And I was, yeah, it was, I was a bit afraid. Like, is it going to work well? Like I didn't have, I, it was not fully booked 100%, you know, like it was making some money, but 
there was a break even, but it, I didn't have, I didn't have a feeling that, oh, there are like 500 people on the waiting list and now we can like scale it. And what, what do you see now that, uh, because around the same time started, for instance, Selena, that it's, uh, that it's a big, big company right now. And they, they started like maybe a bit earlier. They had some hostels, but with that concept of, of, uh, of di targeting digital nomads and building co-working spaces. I think they started around like 2014 around that time. So it, yeah, it was similar, similar timing. And they were definitely more convinced that this is going to be the future. I was like, I wanted to first validate the idea. And when I validated it, it was like, oh, it's too, uh, it's too late. Like I didn't raise any, that was also one of the reasons why I, I switched to, this different model to host company of sites because I saw that, yeah, with the co-working, co-living, it's very sexy. Everyone wants to do that. It's It sounded like uh, before everyone wants to have own uh, cafeteria or coffee place. <laughs> Since I'm living in Amsterdam, <laughs> I avoid saying, saying coffee place because everyone else, coffee place means like a cafe, but here is the, the place to buy. Marijuana, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so everyone wanted to everyone wanted to start on cafe or restaurant or or yoga studio. You know, like the, depends on the on your preferences. And this co-working, co-living that was like, oh, like you are reading about it somewhere. Oh, this guy just moved to Canary Islands and he he lives his dream life and surfing every day and he has this amazing business. I can do that too, right? It doesn't sound complicated you just rent a few apartments co-working and and so i just realized that the margin is low it's a lot of work it's it's a lot of work it makes sense to do it like on scale when you have 50 rooms or 100 rooms then like your margins are are relatively small so you just like with more rooms you simply make more money uh, not necessarily with much more effort like of course there is more effort but uh yeah if you if you are creating community for for 20 people and 50 people it's not there is not much difference it's actually maybe even easier to do it for 50 people than for 20 people uh yeah and i <laughs> i just realized that that's not a <laughs> that sound that sounds like red ocean right like everyone wants like it's not it's, I, I had like Imagine that I had a lot of guests that were coming to serve office who were entrepreneurs. So they obviously like go into this topic, like, Hey, Peter, why are you doing this? Like, is it profit? And, and they ask the right questions. And, and so I, I had in some way, a lot of mentors who were telling me that I should do some, something different if, if I want to succeed here, because this type of business attracts just too many people who want to copy it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think my friend Dan has this really great uh, a kind of concept that he kind of said on this podcast a few episodes back, which is that sexy ideas or the kind of ideas that you'd come up with in like a college dorm room with your buddies are actually like really hard to execute uh, and get right because they're like really, really difficult and they sound really great and they might be sexy, but they're actually like really tough businesses to run. And usually the businesses that are easier to run and maybe like have more margin and spit out more cash are actually the ones that are like, you wouldn't necessarily talk about them in a college dorm room or really like talk about how sexy they are. Um, so how did you, so now that you're doing the offsites, I'm curious about the structure of that. So are you just essentially like saying, Hey, here's a location. Here's everything that you need to go and like put together your offsite, uh, at this location, or are you actually helping these companies plan and execute their offsites at those locations? Yeah, we definitely plan. Uh, we, we definitely help with the, with the execution of the offsites. We have our own planning team that is, uh, organizing everything. We, uh, we built some tech, some, some. I don't want to call it platform because it sounds very. Uh, I, don't know, I want to. I don't want to oversell it. But yeah, we built some. We built something like we can call it platform that uh, streamlines the the process of organizing of size because this is typically a manual manual work. You have a lot of like historically you have a lot of uh, even agencies, destination management companies that organize for you any type of event like offsite, wedding, whatever you want. 
And it's like back and forth with the emails and calls and and uh, Excel spreadsheets. And it's uh, it's not very efficient. And we just, as we focus only on one type of event after organizing, let's say 20, 30 of them, it was clear that, oh, like there are some repeating patterns and, and okay, like for each location, we need this number of team building activities. And these are the best team building activities for remote companies because you you don't want to experiment when you organize offsite like if you are a company you want to try things that are that are proven and we found like what is important for 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 these companies when they organize offsites and i would say like half of the work half of the our value is in finding helping to find the right location and the venue because that's very hard uh, and the second part is the actually planning the offsite and the logistics around it. So we are not involved in the in the content of the offsite. So whatever you are going to do there with your company, it's up to you. Like if you are going to brainstorm your product or if it's going to be a, a team building event, like we help you with all the logistics from transfers, catering, the the team building activities, the, the event space, uh, uh, audiovisual, audiovisuals, ev- everything, everything around logistics. And so you can focus on, on the work part. Yeah. And that's actually really cool because I feel like once you figure out one location, you know, it's going to be more expensive for you to figure it out the first time, but then every time that you run it, essentially your cost goes down because you've already figured out the location you know, the vendors there, you've kind of figured out like, you know, the transportation, the best way of doing that is. Uh, so essentially like it's more productized for you at this point. What is the process? Like, I'm curious, what do companies look for in a location? Uh, Cause I've talked about this with Chase before as well in terms of like, Hey, like, what do you think about this place or that place? And it was interesting to hear him talk about why one location wouldn't be good versus another. So I'm curious what you've found makes for a good destination for offsites for these companies? Uh, first of all, is to easy to get there. Like that's what I see as the most common mistakes what companies do that they want to, they post it on like how it starts. Like they post it on Slack, like, hey, let's organize the the next offsite where we would like to do it. And people start like, oh, I've been in uh, Hawaii and it's amazing. I would like to go to Costa Rica. Guys, have you heard about Mexico City? It's awesome. And you like people share all these ideas and they, of course, they they share their experiences from their personal traveling. But when you organize offsite, like the number one priority should be like how to get there, the whole company as easy as possible. What means you want as many direct flights as possible. You don't want uh, people to be completely, you know, like destroyed when they arrive because you want them to be productive. And then after they come from the retreat, you don't want them to, to, <laughs> to take uh, four days off just to recover or you don't want to spend lo- like you arrive to the destination and uh, and you don't want to spend then another three hours in the bus just to go to some amazing villa or I don't know what it just it's it doesn't work uh, it's not it's not good for the for the whole vibe and experience and it's very difficult to explain this to the companies that organize it for the first time because they have this dream like, oh, we should do it this way or our CEO likes to go to to surf or our CEO likes this specific location. Uh, but I always recommend like just find the location, especially when you are a distributed team and everyone is flying from different places. You don't have them so many. Like you go like look on Europe, like you, you are, want to organize something in uh, at the south that with the good weather you have, you have just few airports, few cities where you can fly easily from the US and from Europe uh, and without without many layovers. And the same for the for the US. Like everyone wants to organize retreat in in Palm Springs or in Zion. And we have these locations and we organize their retreats. But do you really want to go to Zion? Like the closest airport is uh, Las Vegas. You need to get there then 
how you are going to get to Zion. We organize for your transfers, but you will spend literally like after flying there, you will spend another three plus hours in some bus or like transfer. Uh, so yeah, the, the location is, is, is extremely, that, that's the most, like how to get there is the, is the definitely the most important thing in my opinion. To interrupt you there, what do you feel like is like the red line, right? Because I also understand where these companies are coming from because they don't want to do their retreat in San Francisco or some of that, even though it's maybe like easy to get there. There's a large airport, but it may be way more expensive to do in San Francisco versus somewhere else, right? So there's kind of like give and take. So in terms of the transportation, what do you feel like are the red lines there? Like, hey, you need to fly in and then maximum, you know, an hour drive from the airport. Like, is there, do you guys have some sort of like research or findings around what those like red lines are, if that makes sense? Yeah, we have it. We have one hour maximum in Europe from the airport and more than one hour. We don't, we don't have such, such venues uh, in our portfolio. In US it's a bit different because people are willing to drive and people are willing to spend more time in the, in the bus or or car like rent they they are open to rent the car and drive from somewhere for three four hours not everyone not all the companies yeah. but uh, i i see it way more common so we are less restrictive but we always try to advise that maybe it's not it's not the the best idea and if you transfer it into from the, the, the from, if you look on it from the financial perspective imagine that you have bus of full employees for three hours not working not doing anything you know and you pay them and you could you could do some some fun together at the same time or you could have a workshop or brainstorming so you you don't want to waste you don't want to waste time because time is is money and then what about like when you say transfer like what about like airport transfers? You know, like, sure, you may not have to drive very far, but if it takes you like three transfers to get to your location, I imagine that also is kind of like a, a, a sucky situation. So do you have something where it's like, hey, it's either direct flights and like one more transfer or kind of like, how do you guys think about that? Yeah, there is always just one transfer. So we organize transfers from the airport to the to the hotel. And well, no, and I mean, like tried- for the flights for mm-hmm. the flights. So like, for example, you have to fly into New York and then from New York, you need to get to like, uh, Nashville. Do you mm-hmm. see what I mean? Like, do you have, like, is that something that you think about as well? Or do you find that people don't really mind like having to do those sort of transfers, like in airports? Oh, they, like, they, connecting they, flights. they mind connecting flights, layovers. They, they definitely mind. Uh, we even have a tool on our website. It's called location finder. You basically add their, the locations of your team members and how many team members are in each location. So you had like 15 people in London, 20 people in San Francisco, so and so you can add uh, as many locations as you want. And the tool will calculate, uh, will calculate you the, the optimal locations where to meet based on the direct flights and the, the time distance. So this way you, because it's very complex, uh, it's quite complex calculation. Uh, we use the we use the API data from Kiwi.com, like the search engine for the for the flights, and and we are using that data to calculate like the most optimal location. And because typically the the flight uh, search tools like Google Flights, they 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 focus on individual people like who want to travel from A location to B location, and they focus typically on the price. And we focus on the, the how to minimize the the layovers, the transfers, so you have as many direct flights as possible. So you choose the location that has, or you can you can see like the members have uh, uh, your your team members have. Uh, this is the first location, let's say Denver, and everyone can get there with the direct flight. And you can go to Miami, and there are three people who need to need to have a transfer so you choose denver if you if you think that this is important if you don't think this is important or you want to go to miami you anyway you anyway go uh but yeah you you definitely it's it's a it's a bad experience like uh you can it's easy to miss your flight and imagine the the offside is for 
for typically like for three, four days. And if you miss the flight because the connection flight doesn't work for some reason, uh, yeah, you, you will miss one day or two days. It's, it's not worth it. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I want to shift a little bit and talk about ideas. Uh, so you, this is something that I love to talk about is ideas. And like, I think we're both very passionate about the future of workspace and how these things are going. And I love to just talk ideas and kind of see what you're thinking about. And your Twitter bio says 99% surf office, 1% building and writing about products that combine hospitality, real estate, and tech. So I would love to just kind of hear what are some things that you're kind of interested in or that have piqued your curiosity in that 1% section that are just kind of like on your head that you are th- on your mind that you think are cool at the moment. <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote it in bio because uh, I, I was just working on like some side projects or side projects or writing about different business ideas around this uh, remote work and hospitality and a lot of people thought like oh i so you are not working anymore on servo phase and <laughs> I, I was like no i it's just that that's my daily work daily job i'm, I'm working on servo phase but i'm i'm so passionate about these other things that i just i use twitter like specifically Twitter, I use as a bookmarking tool and like the way how to 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 just get out of get ideas, all these ideas yeah. from my from from my brain. Uh, I, I the remote work completely changed the 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 market because I was telling you this story like when I started in 2013. I had uh, then in one year maybe 10, 10 bedrooms, and I was not sure if I can. I can make them full with digital nomads and there were no competitors at, at the same time, you know, like the, 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 that was the only kind of place and they, they started to pop up in the, in the next years. And now you have like millions or how many digital nomads are? 19 million is the, the whatever statistic that is. I don't know how you figure that out. I think there's more, but 19 million Fame. is the on paper many more like you like it's yeah. not maybe they people don't they don't i don't define myself digital nomad but i like to go somewhere for two three four weeks and work from there and yeah and that i i see around me everyone is doing that or wants to do that once you have a family and kids it's way harder so that's for instance interesting interesting niche like how to how to help people like you have parents who both work remotely uh, they live somewhere where they have a daycare and, and the kid toddler goes to the daycare and you want to go, uh, to Mexico city for a month and to live the digital nomad lifestyle. You don't need to be there like for three months, five months, uh, forever. Like you want to stay there just for one month and how to do it with the kid. That's like, it's easy to find accommodation. It's easy to plan your trip, meet some people, like all these things, like, uh are are relatively easy but that part with the daycare is is difficult and i have a feeling that nobody wants to do that but you i why i think it's opportunity because i see a lot of demand that as i have i have a kid and i'm in similar not similar exactly this position people come to me and ask me like hey peter can you recommend something like this in europe can you recommend something like this in central america and I'm like, no, I, I, if I know some hotels with the daycare or some hotels that uh, can at least take care of your kid for, for a couple of hours, you can go to resorts, but that's not exactly the experience you want as a, if you, if we are talking about digital nomad lifestyle. So that's definitely one, one idea. The family thing has come up a few times on the podcast and it's, and it's coming up more and more. So I don't have kids and I'm like, uh, like, you know, that's not something that's like in the immediate future for me, but it's been coming up a lot just in the last year on this podcast. Like Ken Weary talked about it because they've been raising their kids uh, while living nomadically for like eight years plus. Uh, Matthew Gronick was just on the podcast as well who, who talked about that. And I definitely agree with you. I think there's a lot of opportunity there and not just I think there's like multiple verticals within that problem. Like There's multiple 
solutions that can be created for that one specific problem. Like you, like the daycare, like how do you set up, you know, hospitality that's meant for remote workers with daycare. I also think like just like the education piece of that is really important because you don't necessarily want to keep switching your kids from like school to school to school, quote unquote school. Like maybe there's some sort of like online education version that needs to be made for remote workers. I do think that that's like a huge opportunity that I agree with you. I don't think, I think people don't really want to mess with it. Like it's almost like there's like lower hanging fruit at the moment and people don't want to jump on the, on the family mm-hmm. solution side yet. Yeah, it's very difficult to to execute. Like the closest what I uh, project what I found to this idea and I, I really like is uh, it's called Boundless Life. I never tried it by myself. Uh, what I see that they have they have three locations in in Portugal, Italy, and Greece, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, they created their own curriculum. So they they don't outsource the the education they created like own own concept and i think that's the that that's that's interesting approach like because um like as you say like you can look on, on it from a different from different perspectives it depends like depends on also on the age of the kids it's it's very different when you have like some small kids and when you have basically some babies or toddlers and when you have already older kids they need completely different uh uh, they need completely different things, and and when you mix families with dif- with kids with different ages, it's also not ideal. So yeah, there are, there are a lot of challenges around it. Why I think it's interesting opportunity because you are talking about two parents who are working remotely, and they want to do it maybe just like once a year for a month. So. I see there like a lot of money that can be dedicated for such experience. You know, it's different when you are digital nomad, single, and you you don't want to go like maybe to too expensive places or too expensive hotels or accommodations because you, you are doing it full time, this nomad thing, and, and you are more price sensitive. But if we are talking about families. I, yeah, it's a it's interesting niche. And for some reason, everyone is focused on 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 singles even couples i didn't see very much like that 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 concepts uh, for digital nomads that would somehow uh, target couples yeah the couple thing is interesting too because i agree with you on that as well where you know i've been nomadic with my wife like we became nomadic together so in 2016 so we've never really been like we weren't nomads separately if that makes sense and it is kind of like a different dynamic because i think when you're single it's really easy to connect with others and like make friends because it's easier to be accepted by yourself it's a little bit more like if you're traveling with someone else you have a crutch so you don't put yourself out there as much and then also i feel like it's more difficult to make friends when you're traveling as a couple, just because it's like, I don't know, there's something about the dynamics there that, that, that are a bit different. But I, I would also think that doing like a co-living for couples uh, would be kind of cool because I think it's kind of hard to make friends when you get older. Uh, and that would be like, like really fun. And it, I think that you're going to like, you can like price your, uh, your services higher, right? Cause you, it's two people versus, versus one. What are some other, ideas that you've that you either have or that you've seen that you think are really cool that are like this overlap of remote work and hospitality i'm i'm just telling you all the ideas i i have and i i would like to do it i just you know in this one percent of uh, my time it's it's <laughs> it's not possible <laughs> that's i that's why i decided to 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 share them i honestly i had more time during covid to 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 play with different ideas actually to build something because uh, the server office obviously was not really working nobody wanted to organize offsites during uh, during covid uh, so i really explored a lot of these uh, other ideas what the other one that i'm passionate about is 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 glamping in general uh, so typically some cabin uh, yeah cool cabin cottage in in remote location in the nature and uh, the same as with families you can look on it from very different perspectives and 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 you can find their different niches how to how to approach it one is that i see again for myself it demand that 
to go to some off-grid cabin where I can just brainstorm and read and just be by myself uh, alone. But I can go during the day to run or just for a walk in the in the forest or if it's close to the beach, I can go to surf or swim. Something like it's uh, um, Bill Gates famous for this, like uh, how it's called work week that he says that he goes like once a year somewhere and he drinks a lot of a uh, lot of coke and 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 reads a lot of books and he comes with uh, with with many good ideas i i think all creative people need it in some way uh and and there is demand for such a place where you can do it and and you can look on it again from a different perspective like you can do it as a as a work escape so imagine such a cabin where you have a a uh, good work chair and uh, external display and you can connect with your laptop and have and with very good internet you have actually productive place where you can be alone it, or with a small team like two three people work on something heck kind of hackathon for one week or three days and uh, there are no like try to book such a cabin somewhere like you can find it nice cabin but it doesn't have internet or you found something with internet but you don't have really place where to work or it doesn't look so nice it's not so comfortable uh yeah the the people who are building this type of businesses absolutely don't understand this type of market that's why there is a huge opportunity yeah i i think that there's i totally agree with you i think there's so much opportunity in real estate as it kind of matures and understands that people um, and the way that they live and work is changing. And I'm very curious to see how real estate like adjusts to that. Uh, because I think it's going to be, I think it's gonna be very interesting, especially with like, we have all this office space. That's like this corporate office space. That's kind of, I think over the next 10 years, not, it's not going to be as important. So what do you do with all these office buildings uh, that are sitting empty in downtowns. And I think there's like a really great opportunity there. Like if you're thinking about like a, from a business perspective of a company that refurbishes the space and uses it for something else, it's more community focused. I also think um, that's very interesting. But I'm curious from your point of view, you know, talking about ideas and kind of this sort of thing, where do you see Surf Office in the next five years? Like, what's the vision? What are you guys trying? Like, where would you like to be in five or ten years? <laughs> yeah, I can I can tell you that after last years, it's very we don't have this plan like where to be in in five years. The plans are way shorter. Like, what we want to achieve in like six months. The world is changing so fast that I, I have a feeling that nobody can plan for next five years. So, yeah, obviously the plans are uh, to grow the business and, and grow the team. Maybe the, the what, like what we are trying to, to, like now we are 15 people working on Sir Office full time and, and, and we have around like 15, 20 contractors working on like a partial project. And I, I realized that I, I'm enjoying working with the, with smaller teams and I don't think I would like to grow through office if if we are lucky that it can grow to much bigger company I think there will be a cap or like like I I, I follow I've been following for a long time guys from from Basecamp and they are saying this like 50 60 people that's that's the that's the maximum when you are enjoying your your day work and then like after that it's more about politics and you also you as a founder it's like completely uh it's a completely different uh, work what you are doing like now i, I think when i started i had <laughs> different skill set but you also have to like you can evolve and enjoy it like i i'm enjoying what i'm doing now i i enjoyed a lot to build stuff by myself and now i i have to stop like i i i cannot do this i can i my my job is basically empower other people and hire new people, you know, like, and, and that's, that should be my job. But of course, I sometimes I jump into the things I want to do by myself, or I want to take, change things on the website, or I want to write the copy, I want to do this and that. Uh, and I, I'm just afraid that if with more people, 
it will become more boring that I will be just, I don't want to be a manager of managers and, and, and just said that the, the vision of the company to, to me sounds boring. Like I would then probably, uh, go somewhere else and I delegate the, the leadership to someone else and start some, some of these businesses we talked about. <laughs> Gotcha. I, I totally understand that. I'm, I'm with you on that, like where I've thought about, you know, just kind of like done like mental exercises of like, would I want to run, you know, like you said, if if I even had that opportunity to run like a really large company or even like I've thought about it with like funding, like would I like to take a bunch of money? And sometimes I think some of that doesn't in reality, it's not as great as it might sound on like a resume or some of that. So I'm completely with you, but uh, Peter, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was a ton of fun. I love kind of playing with ideas with you and hearing more about surf office. Let people know if they're interested in uh, connecting with you, uh, where can they do that? And obviously I'm assuming if they're interested in surf office, surfoffice.com would be the best place to go. Yeah. Surfoffice.com. The, they can find there also the the tool I mentioned, Location Finder, to find the find the most optimal location for meeting the remote team. Uh, and yeah, you can find me on uh, on Twitter where I'm more active, and and LinkedIn. Like these are two two sites, and and I'm also writing a a newsletter. So if you go to Peter Faber, my first name uh, surname dot com. You can you can also subscribe to newsletter where I I'm actually I'm not writing about your office so no <laughs> no stories about like how to how to optimize the transfers for your company offside uh, the newsletter is basically about uh, these ideas and uh, and and business opportunities in hospitality that are related to remote work. Gotcha. Well, so if you're interested in the 1% of things that we talked about, uh, definitely head over there and uh, sign up for that newsletter. But Peter, thank you so much for coming on. We're going to have links to all this in the show notes. So if you're listening, don't feel like you need to remember that. Just head on over to show notes and uh, you can find the links there. Peter, again, thank you so much. Uh, this is a ton of fun. It was fun. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me and let's catch up soon.